the song that was uh, being played while um, you guys were greeting each other was "There Could Be, uh, There Could Never Be Another Beautiful You," and that is a beautiful welcome person, don't you think? I mean, like I was sitting there. If you're new here today, you're like, "What is this church about?" That's my wife, so I can say that. But I was just like, I was like, like there could never be another beautiful Jen Bunch. So uh, that was good. Yeah, you should clap for that. It's very good. Those that you didn't clap, I'm not going to pray for your prayer request this week. So. <laughs> just joking. Don't send any emails. All right. Hey, we're beginning a brand new uh, series this week called In God We Trust. And I think that the most difficult area for you and I to trust God in is our money. Now, you might be asking, well, why are we doing this series? Well, it's not because God needs your money, because God doesn't. God is bigger and larger and greater than uh, we know. And he can move in churches and he can move in people's lives uh, without money. He can do things that go beyond that. But I was thinking about it earlier this summer. What if every single person in the jar managed their money wisely like God's Word say? What if every single person in the jar had no credit card debt? Like, what if all the The money we send for interest on our credit cards actually could be given to the things of God. What if we didn't have any debt in the church except for maybe reasonable mortgages that people could pay for? But what if everyone else, what if we were just debt free? What if we managed our money the way that God calls in Scripture. I mean, what kind of generosity would flow out of this church into our community if we simply chose to manage our money in wise ways like Scripture speaks to us? So this morning, I want to talk about your money. And every time we talk about money, I know it brings some emotions and People get a little bit, uh, you know, overwhelmed, and there's a sense of pushback. And so uh, I just want you uh, to know that if at this point you're like, be careful, preacher boy, um, I get it, okay? I get it. Now, in order for us to kind of lower the tension here early on, what I thought we would do is that I would talk about me and my money. Uh, Growing up, I was a freak when it came to saving money. I was a saver. And as early as I can remember, I saved everything. Now, the good thing about that was my older brother and sister were spenders. And they liked to spend. And so... Every once in a while, they would come to me and they would ask for a loan. Uh, My sister did this a lot. 
And uh, they would come and they would ask for a loan. And so I'd loan them money. And then I had to charge them interest because any good financial institution charges interest. And so I picked what I thought was a fair interest rate. A hundred percent. And they bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And so I would, you know, do this. And so I just saved. I just saved my money. Christmas money, birthday money, any kind of money that I could get. I just saved. And at the age of 16, I went and I bought my first car, a 1979 Pontiac Grand Prix. And I would drive it like this, you know. And I put a big system in there, and I just thought I was all that. But this is the thing, folks. I paid cash. I did not get into debt. I did not take a payment plan. And it was a used car. Now, just a sidebar. Um, Did you know that you could actually buy your car? Like, you don't have to lease it. You don't have to get in debt and have money plans. You can actually buy it. Now, we have some car dealers uh, who attend the church. And uh, I've been to their car dealerships. They're guys of high integrity. But there are some that aren't. And this is what they'll do. They put all the brand new glistening ones up front. So when you walk in, you're like, I've got to have that. Now, where do you think they put the used cars? In another lot. They're like, don't go there. Stay. Stay. And you don't have to do that. You can actually buy a used car. You can do that. Well, fast forward a few years. I'm a big saver, and I meet my wife. And I love my wife, Jennifer. And uh, when we connected... We came from two different kind of money management styles. I was a saver, like I told you, and she was a spender. And so we had to figure this out. And so we did. And the way we figured it out was when we got married, we would get these invitations from uh, these different people who loved us so much, folks, that they were willing to give us. Free money. These invitations came from MasterCard and Visa and American Express. And when I opened up the first one, I'll never forget that I read it. It said, Mr. and Mrs. Bunch. Isn't that great? Like you just get married and it says, Mr. and Mrs. Bunch. You have been pre-approved. Don't you love that? Like you have not been pre-approved. But I have been pre-approved. And all of a sudden, we're like, we're signing up for this. And we did. And in that first year, we got a letter by the end of the year that they said, "Um, no more invitation money. You have maxed out the credit card. Now, I looked at the interest rate, and it was much more generous than mine. It was only 19%. But now I had to pay it back. 
And there was this shame and guilt and discouragement. And some of you know what that's like. Some of you are there right now. And so I knew I needed some help. And so we found a friend of ours who he managed his money extremely well. And we had to tell him, we haven't. And so we went to him, and he set us up on a plan. And this was the plan, very simple. Give, save, live on the rest. You give, then you save, then you live on the rest. Now some of you look like you have a glazed look right now. Was it too difficult? Let me say it again. You give, then you save, then you live on the rest. Now, when Jennifer and I first started this, this is what our plan actually looked like. We gave 5% to the church because we were so far in debt we couldn't do anymore. We saved nothing. You know why? Because we had our year of freedom. And then we had 95% that we lived on. And we had to pay debt on and everything else. Well, eventually over time, we just made a commitment that we would increase our giving and we would increase our savings by 1% each year until we got to what Christian uh, counselors say is like the healthiest kind of financial plan. And it's this one, the 10-10-80 plan. That you give 10% to the church, that you save 10%, and then you live on the rest. And God was so faithful as we did this that we got to this point and we realized that we could even be more generous. And so we became more generous to, to give more to the causes of Christ uh, in our community. And so we bumped up things uh, to be able to take care of those in the world. So today, we have a reasonable mortgage and we live way, way, way below our means. And that's just kind of, honestly, that's been our weird financial plan for the past 19 years. That's what we've done. We give first, we save second, and then we live off the rest. Now, some of you still look glazed, so let's say it out loud together, okay? Uh, give, save, live on the rest. Okay, good. Let's say it again. We give, save, live on the rest. Okay. Now, this little plan, folks, I'm telling you, it has uh, helped us so much to not deal with pain and hurt that we've seen so many other people deal with. And I can't say this about very many other areas of my life, but this is one area of my life I wish every single one of you would live just like me. I can't say that about a lot of areas of my life, but this is one area of my life I wish everybody in the jar did exactly like we do. That we give, that we save, and then we live on the rest. And it's not because I want something from you, it's because I want something for you. I want something for you. It's the best plan I know. Now, there's another thing that I want you to know about me before we go too much further and we'll 
dive into the text here in a second. And it's this. I am one of the most materialistic people I know. I am one of the most materialistic people I know. I love stuff. And especially when that stuff is connected to sports. If there is a big sporting event, Colts, Pacers, you name it, I will, do, I will go to StubHub and be the stub. You know what I mean? I will do whatever hub i got to get to to get to one of these. And I've spent all kinds of money doing that. I'm a runner, and I want the best running gear that I can have. I don't go to running stores here in Muncie because they're not to my standard. So I go to Hamilton County where I can get my best stuff. And Jen's the same way with her stuff. She watches HGTV, you know, the therapy for women. And then she has these therapy sessions where she'll go and she brings this stuff back. For instance, you can't just keep the pillows on the couch the same they've always been, I've learned. You've got to mix that up. Why? Because love it or list it tells you to do it, right? And so we do this. But this is what we've learned. We've learned, folks, we cannot conquer materialism. Jen and I can't. We have not been able to conquer our need to acquire. We have not learned how to make that go away. But this is what we have learned. That as we give and we save and we live on the rest, what happens is, is the temptation to acquire more and more and more gets reduced more and more and more, and things kind of stay in check. It's amazing how it works. As long as we first give, then save, then live on the rest. But there's something within each one of us that controls us. I bet you've seen this before. You go, whatever the item is, you look at it, and at first you're like, I want that. Like, I want that. And then you convince yourself after a few steps That I just don't want it. I what? I need it. Like I couldn't survive without this thing. Now, that's my world and that's my finances. And now I want to talk about your money. And specifically about your extra money. Your extra money. Now, some of you are sitting there right now and you're like, extra money? What are you talking about? We don't have no extra money. We have no extra whatever. The extra has been x out of our life, right? You just have etra. You know, there's no X anymore. Just out. Well, some of us might be at that place, but you know what? This is, this is what I think. I think that most of us in this gym, we have extra. Now, even though the economy's changed, it's less than it was 10 years ago, I think most of us still have extra. Let me share with you what I'm talking about. If you eat out, guess what? You have extra. If you go to the movies, 
you have extra. People will come up to me all the time and they'll say, well, I've just got to entertain myself. Now listen, folks. You can go a long, long time without going to the movies. Guess what? You won't get sick. You won't get a disease. You won't die. Things won't fall off if you don't go to the movies. They won't. So all entertainment is extra. If you have two cars, you have extra. If you own your own house, you've got a lot of extra. If you choose expensive coffee over cheap coffee, guess what? You have extra. If you have pajamas, work clothes, relaxed clothes, workout clothes, and golf clothes, and I've seen people change into that. Wait, I've seen me change into that in one day. Guess what? I've got extra. Now, how about this? If you've ever traded or given away something that worked, like it actually worked, just so you could have the excuse that you could buy something newer and better, you got extra. I was talking to my parents this week because they're in the midst of a move. And you know, back in their day, people would actually wait until things broke before they would ever get rid of them. You know what we do today? Upgrade! Everything's an upgrade, right? Like the phone companies. You have a crappy phone, most of you. But if you'll upgrade for $99, you can be a smart person. And you see all these smart people lining up. Why? Because they want extra. Garage sales. What about garage sales? What is a garage sale? A garage sale is that I have so much stuff in my extra pile that I want to turn it into cash, and all of that is just extra. And then there is this weird thing. I don't know. Some of you may not have it in your home, but I bet some of you do. There's this weird thing in many kitchen sinks that is at the bottom, and you flip a switch. What's that thing called? I've never put garbage in that. What do you put in that? Food! In fact, you know what happens at the bunch household sometimes? We have food that we could pack up and put together and put it back in the fridge. And you know what we do? We put it down into the food disposal. Why? Because at our house we have extra. Now, I don't feel like I have extra. I bet you don't feel like you have extra. And we all have a lot less extra than we did 10 years ago because of the economy. But God can do a lot with a little. And yet we feel this pressure constantly on us. I mean, have you ever had this experience before? You go to the mall, and you start walking down into the mall, and I never had this thought, boy, you know what, I have so much extra. I walk in the mall, and I start looking around, and I'm thinking, man, I'm like way behind. 
I feel like I'm a Paul person, you know? I mean, I don't even have some of this stuff. I'm like way behind. And most of the culture focuses on what we don't have, but we think we need. And so consequently, we don't feel like we have any extra. But every once in a while, what happens is you go on a mission trip, or you drive into a part of our city that is very poverty-stricken, or you read something in a magazine, or you watch a child on television who has flies on their face, and they're barely able to live. And all of a sudden, in that moment, there's some clarity. And you think, you know what? I have so much more than some people. And then we have that weird American kind of thing. that. Then we ask, why do I have so much? Why do I have more? And then we just kind of move on. But in a moment where you realize that You had more than other people. You then recognize, you know what? You and I, we do have extra. Now, I want to talk about extra because Jesus talked about it 2,000 years ago in a passage of Scripture in uh, Luke chapter 12. And we're going to get there. And Jesus summarized this whole concept of extra. Now, Jesus said this, okay? So don't get mad at me. Don't send me emails. This is what Jesus said. Jesus summarized this concept of extra this way. It'll come up on the side screen. Not that one. The point. There we go. Greed is defined by what I do with my extra. Greed is defined by what I do with my extra. This is where you come up with the assumption that the extra is for my consumption. And the reason we're often guilty of this is because when our income goes up, up and to the right, all of a sudden we think, well, my lifestyle should be the same way. It should go up and to the right. I mean, we don't need any margin, and so we simply say, wow, if I'm making more money, then I should just consume more of that. And Jesus says, that's actually the definition of greed. Now, you and I don't define greed that way. The truth is that we don't define greed at all. Now, every once in a while, we'll find it in somebody else, won't we? It's a lot easier. We'll find somebody else. We're like, that person is greedy. You see how greedy they are? That person over there, they were so greedy. But it's very, very hard to see it in ourselves. I mean, greed is almost impossible to look in the mirror. I've never known someone look in the mirror and go, you know what? The biggest problem in my life is I'm just greedy. Now, we look in the mirror and we can spot anger. We can spot fear. We can spot gossip, we can spot lying, but we can't see greed because greed is such a subtle thing. And so Jesus says, let me define it for you so you don't miss it. Greed is the assumption that the extra is for my consumption. So here's the text. 
Luke chapter 12. Luke's in the New Testament, the first half of the Bible. And Jesus tells a story. It's a parable. Same word. Parable is story. And he forces us to ask a big question. And this is the question that he wants us to ask ourselves. Why do I have so much extra? Why do I have so much extra? As I said earlier, our culture is about how we get more and more and more, and we never ask this question. But in this parable, Jesus asked the question. Now, let me give you a little background. Jesus is in this crowd of people. There's a whole bunch of folks, and there's a guy in the very back of this crowd, and he yells out, he says, Hey, Jesus, can you help me? I have a dispute between me and my brother. Our parents have died, and we have an inheritance now. And he doesn't want to split up the inheritance. Can you help me? Now, that sounds like a reasonable request, right? And so you're thinking Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to kind of tell them how to separate the inheritance. But Jesus comes back, and he says, Hey, be on guard of all kinds of greed. And the audience is like together, and they're like, What? This doesn't make sense. He's talking about inheritance. And now Jesus, just off the wall, talks about greed. And then Jesus goes on and he says, And don't live your life as the sum total of everything that you possess. And the people in the audience are like, What is Jesus even talking about? He's not even addressing the guy's question. It's inheritance and greed. And what's that third thing that you just said, Jesus? And then all of a sudden Jesus just stops the conversation. And he starts this story. Now, I don't know, but I have a feeling that the disciples hated when Jesus told parables. You know why? Because I don't like them. I mean, seriously, have you ever read some of these? You're reading these, and they're just stories that he kind of makes up. He looks out, and all of a sudden, he decides he's going to talk about a sheep. Or he talks about, you know, a pig. And he just kind of does this. He talks about people and stuff. And I bet the disciples often were like, you know, all of a sudden, someone asks a question, and all of a sudden says, and Jesus goes, and once there was a man, they're like, oh, could you just please answer the question? <laughs> this is going to be like 20 more minutes, dude. Get ready, you know. And have you ever noticed this when, when people ask questions of Jesus? He either tells a story or what's he do? He asks a question back. Isn't that the most annoying thing in the world? Like you want an answer and he doesn't give you an answer. He just gives you another question. Well, Jesus was the most brilliant teacher ever to walk planet Earth. Because all of his stories had one big idea. And in this story, the story is all about Greed and what we what do we do with our extra? So in verse twelve, uh, this is what is shared. And Jesus told them a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now in the first century, what you have to realize is that if you were rich, the thought was you are close to God and you are being blessed by God, and so that's how this guy is gotten rich. He's close to God. And now he has even more. And Jesus starts this story, and all these people around him, for the most part, were peasants. 
they're like, seriously? You're going to tell us a story about how the rich get richer? Just throw it in our face. Boy, this guy's struggling, you know. Verse 17. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Poor baby. Poor little baby. I've got five cars, but I only have a four-car garage. Poor baby. I've got new clothes, but my closets are already full. Poor baby. My attic is already filled to the max. I need a storage unit. Poor little baby. So here's this guy who already has a lot of stuff, and he gets more extra stuff. And all the people are, they're like that. They're like, oh, poor baby, you know. Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. Great idea, right? You've got so much that you should just go and build bigger barns. Then you can save it all. And do you know why he does this? Because he assumes that the extra is for his consumption. Now, if that were the end of the story, what we would do is like, that guy was smart. Like he was rich, and then he was really smart and wise. He was a smart business guy. But the story doesn't end there. Verse 19. And I'll say to myself, Self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So he assumes that there is a correlation that if you have a lot of stuff, then God's going to give you a lot of time to enjoy the stuff. And so he's like, this is great. I'll just build bigger barns and I'll have more time. Isn't that how it works? Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. Not because he was wealthy. God gave him all the wealth. Not because he had extra. God gave him the extra. Here, Jesus kind of sucks the breath out of his audience because this guy is brilliant and blessed, and God gave him all this stuff. In verse 20, Jesus says, You fool, this very night your life will demand it from you. In other words, folks, you're going to run out of time before you run out of money. Did you realize that? For most Americans, most Americans run out of time before they ever run out of, of, of money. Then, big question, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Okay, smart, stored up guy. Who will get what you prepared for yourself? Answer the question. Somebody else, right? But it's not because this guy has been generous, but it's because he is what? Dead. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's like, dude, it's not because... You've been so generous that you won't be able to, you, 
you're just going to be dead. Because you're Mr. Rich Guy, like most people, and this is most people, that we assume that the extra is for us to consume. And you're going to run out of time before you run out of money. And Jesus says that a person who lives like that is a fool. Now we think that people who build bigger barns actually are wise. But Jesus says no, they're foolish. Now you know what we do. Let's make it smart. We get our phone... And we go, I need a bigger barn. I need a bigger phone. Remember those flip phones? Maybe some of you still. My dad still has the very first cell phone he ever had. Flip phone. But no one, except weird people like that, still have flip phones. You know what I mean? Like you've moved on to what? Four or five hundred. I probably offended a few people. Sorry. But, you know, they, like you've moved on to get more and more phones. Or a newer car or a bigger house. And we realize that, hey, every time I get a bonus, every time I get a raise, I did the work so it should just go to me. Our assumption is this guy's assumption. If we get extra, the extra must be for consumption. And Jesus looks at you and this is what he says. Jesus looks at you. He says, I like you. You're cool. You're cute. But you're a fool. And Jesus looks at Chris. And he says, you're a nice guy. And you're kind. You're an all right husband. Okay? You went to seminary. But if you live like this, you're a fool. As long as I assume that the extra is for me to consume. Now, Jesus doesn't do this in every single parable, but in this particular parable, he actually gives the moral of the story. Sometimes he tells the story and he leaves. But this one, he actually gives us the moral. And he goes away from the parable and he addresses the audience this way. He says, this is how it will be. Now, at this point, we have to ask our question, what is that first week? What is this? What is the this? This, in this context, means total loss. Total loss. Total and complete loss. This is how it will be. For those who store up things for themselves... And that would be all of us. All of us do that. But are not rich toward God. It's going to be a total loss for people who store up things for themselves because they're going to run out of time before they run out of money. And those people aren't rich toward God. That's what Jesus said. Now, if you're like me, what I want to do is look at that last little part there. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Right? I mean, I don't want to be a fool. I mean, none of us wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror, today I'm going to be a fool. My goal today is to be a fool. 
Now, I bet most of you, regardless if you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you looked, you'd say, you know what? If there is a God, I'd want to be rich toward Him. I'd want to be connected to Him. Jesus said, how can a person be characterized as one who is rich toward God? Well, Luke chapter 12, it goes on and on and on. I'd encourage you to read it this week. But at the very end, he gives us his answer. Verse 33, he says this. How do we become rich toward God? Sell your possessions and give. That's your fill-in. Sell your possessions and give. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And he's not saying here that you should sell everything and go and live in the street. He's just saying sell, get rid of, liquidate the extra. Quit living like the extra is for your consumption. Become a generous person. Become a giver. Sell your possessions, the scripture says, and give it to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For, here's the big conclusion, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wow. Jesus says, look, if you have a savings plan and you have a spending habit, then you also should have a giving plan. Otherwise, this is what happens. You consume it all. If you have a savings plan, that's responsible. If you have a spending habit, we all do. But you don't have a giving plan, then you're going to consume it all. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not generous. Americans are very generous. Have you ever noticed that when disasters come or there's a Red Cross relief, you'll see people, they'll give emotionally, they'll give spontaneously, they'll give sporadically. People will look in what's in their pocket and they'll say, hey, what's ever in my pocket, I'll just go ahead and I'll give to whatever this disaster is. But that's not what this parable is talking about. It's not about giving some extra out of the extra in your lives. But as I've studied this and lived it and talked to people who are a lot wiser than me, what this story is about, this parable, the secret that this parable is trying to do is to help break greed in our lives. That's what it's trying to do. This is a parable how we can no longer be consumed by the culture. It's the kind of stuff that my wife and I have learned over time, that we want to acquire things. We want stuff. And if we didn't have a plan in place, we would consume it all for ourselves. Instead, Jesus says, sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. Take this idea of generosity. And don't take the generous thing and put it at the bottom of the list. You actually invert it. You turn it around and you make it the top of your priority. Instead of live, save, give what's left over, 
Jesus says that the plan should be give, save, live on the rest. And the only way you can do this, folks, is if you do it systematically. I mean, if you have a spending habit and you have a savings plan, then you need to have a giving plan. And it should be percentage-based, percentage giving. That you choose off of the top. You pre-decide. I'm going to take this percentage and I'm going to dedicate it to God for what He's doing in the church and throughout the world. And I'm going to make sure that God gets His first because if God doesn't get His first, guess what happens? We consume it. I'm going to make sure that that happens. And Jesus says if you don't do that, and you consume it all, you're a fool. Jesus says, I'm living my life as if there is this life because there isn't just this life. Folks, if you, if you believe that there is a life after this life, if you have any theology whatsoever, you don't even have to be a Christian, but if you believe that there's going to be any afterlife after our time here, if you believe that God's going to hold you accountable to some extent, good parenting does that. If you believe and take any of Jesus' words seriously, then there's going to be a moment where you're going to have to stand before God and, and to take account of the extra in your life. So I think the best thing you can do, the best thing that I've ever done, is to create a plan that says give, save, live on the rest. Now, percentage is a math term. And if you're like me, sometimes math is difficult. I don't always do math really well. So I thought I would give us an illustration today that I think everyone, even if you're intimidated by math, you could figure this out, okay? And uh, the way we're going to do this is uh, by using actual $1 bills. Now, I... I, I struggle with math. When I went to college, I chose the math class that I took in high school. Because I figured if I took that class, I'd get an A for sure, and I could be with the ladies rather than the numbers, you know? And so I took the exact same class. It was pre-calculus. That means you really can't calculate, so they call it pre Okay, so I couldn't calculate, so I'm in this. I'm like, man, this is going to be a breeze, no problems. And all of a sudden, what I learned is that they changed high school pre-calculus to math and I, or to college, and I struggled so much. I remember going into Dr. Barry's office, and I said, Dr. Barry, I took this class because I thought it was the same class that I had in high school, and I'd do well in it. And I'll never forget, he just looked at me and goes, I know. That's what you get for thinking. And that was it. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot, dude. You really encouraged me, you know. I barely passed the class, and I only took one math class uh, in my whole life uh, in college. So for those of you who are intimidated by math, I've tried to break this down a little bit. And this is the way it works. Every time that you get ten of these, okay, every time... 
that you get ten of these. You predecide. You determine beforehand that this is what I have to manage. And so I'm going to take just one of these and I'm going to give it to the church and what God's doing in the world. Now, some of you looked a little bit glazed, so I don't think you got it the first time. Okay, let me do it again, okay? This is not a magic trick. There's nothing up my sleeve, okay? Nothing like that. Here we go. This is 10. It could be, you know, whatever. I'm using 10%. It could be 2%, 5%, 20%, whatever you decide. But you take these 10 that you have been managing, and you take... One, if you have a giving plan, you say, I'm going to give that to God and the things that he's doing in the church. You're like, I still got nine? That seems like a lot. So I, no, I think I'll take that back. Right? Now, this is the thing. When these are ones, we got no problem, do we? I can do a one. But when these are tens, maybe, you're like, oh, okay, no problem. I can do a ten. But when these things become hundreds and thousands, then all of a sudden, what we find is that people give less and less, and less. The richer you are, the less you give. I've often thought, I really wish we went back to a currency system where we didn't have this automatic money that you never see, and like everyone got paid in $1 bills. No, I'm serious. Like everybody gets paid in $1 bills, and at the end of the week, you get your big old stack. You like walk in, they're like, here's your stack. You're like, that's for me? Yeah, you worked, you earned it. Here's your stack of $1. Man. Oh, God, man, I got a big stack here. Let me, let me help yours out. You see, people will come up to me all the time. And they'll go, man, I am generous. I'm so generous. I gave $100. And in my mind, what I'm thinking, what do you make? And I've seen people before who are extremely wealthy. They make six figures. And they'll come to me and they'll go, well, I gave $1,000. But what did you make? And so you just decide. Up front, pre-decide a percentage to give. And I'm going to do it absolutely first, and it's the priority. And when you make this decision, it keeps the things that you own from owning you. We just heard mommy, right? Listen, this is what we do with our money. Money. 
Money. It changes you from being controlled by things to where you give control to God. And it gives an invitation for God to jump into your financial world and to be a part of it. And the only way you know that is if you're a percentage giver. If you're an emotional giver, you never know. You feel good when you do it, but you don't know. Because this is what happens. If you're just an emotional giver, you give it emotionally whenever you feel led or you feel called. When a financial crisis happens in your life, if you're a Christ follower, what you're going to do is say, God, could you please help me? And God's going to be like, well, you didn't need me to help you any of this other time. Why are you calling on me now? You haven't asked me to be a part of the plan for your whole life. But now there's a financial crisis and now you want me to step in. Percentage giving says this way, God, I want you to be involved in my finances and I'm trusting you to give a percentage up front. And it doesn't matter what the percentage is. 2%, 5%, 10%, 20%, whatever it is. So each of you today in your program, you received a little card like this. It'll come up on the side screen. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand, and uh, one of our greeters uh, can get that for you. Just raise your hand. we got a few over here. So if you want to bring some of the programs uh, over this way. And this is what it looks like. It just says, since the beginning of 2014, how much money did you make? And uh, just keep your hand up there coming this way over here. Um, And you you know that. And then you can decide, too, how much money did I actually give? Maybe to charity, church, people, random acts of kindness. You put that. Then there's an equation there where you just divide the two. And you can find out for the first eight months of this year what your percentage of giving, what your giving plan looks like. And then I did challenge you to decide sometime this week that after you do the exercise that you put down for the rest of 2014, this is the percentage that I'm willing to give. And it's, this is the game changer, folks. You've got a spending habit. You've got a savings plan. But do you have a giving plan. And even if you're not a follower of Christ, if today is your first day and the whole time you've been looking up, like multiplying the lights, going, okay, there's six on, but then there's six that aren't on, and you've been doing that the whole time, you still owe it to yourself to know what you've given. And this is a game changer. Now, this really, honestly, folks, is not a money thing. You know what it is? It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. Because as I've been talking through some of this, some of you have been going like, Ugh! 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 Why did we have to pick this week to come to church? Like, we only do one financial series out of the year and we pick this one. Ugh! And there's this resistance. And you can't wait for me to be done talking. And I just want to ask you this. 
What's up with that? Like when we talk about God's love, when we talk about his forgiveness, when we talk about his grace, when we talk about community, when we talk about serving. And now we're just talking about another thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else in the Bible except the kingdom of God. And it's like, ugh. You know why that is? Because it's not about finances. It's about your heart. I didn't say it. Don't look at me like, oh, geez, ugh, now I'm even more mad. I was just mad, but now I'm really mad. Jesus said, where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Folks, for most of us, our heart is out in the parking lot, in the car that we just had to have. Our heart is on that property that we pay taxes for. Our heart is in the closet where we already have tons of clothes. Our heart is spread out among a bunch of stuff that we're going to leave and it's going to be gone. You see, folks, it's not a money thing. It's a heart thing. And when we think the extra is for our consumption, that's when it goes south. And your Heavenly Father, even if you don't have a relationship with Him, you have to at least think to yourself, is it a money thing for me or is that a heart issue? The average American gives 1% to 2% of their income away. That's what they get across the board. 1.5%, 2%. And you get to decide to be a percentage giver to decide ahead of time what you're going to do with that. Again, folks, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. I've been where many of you have been before, where you just feel like the walls are caving in. And financially, we couldn't pay the minimum monthly balance of our credit card in our first year of our marriage. I know what it's like. But I found the freedom when I started a giving plan. And when I did that, all of a sudden I realized that the extra wasn't for my consumption. But it had to be a choice, a pre-decide, pick a percentage. And then, you're not a fool. You're a wise person. Let's stand for closing prayer. Gracious God, thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. Any person who came in a vehicle today, they're in the 90th percentile of the richest people in the world. If you came in a car. And so God, we have received many blessings. And we are filled with extra. But we don't want to be fools in any area of our life. And so God, would you help us to know what it means to please you. Give us courage to develop a giving plan, not to just throw this away, but for us to actually go home and kind of figure out what this is and for us to pick a percentage just for the next four months. We would say, hey, you know what? I'm willing to do X. And then to see 
that if we test you, what, if you'll provide for our needs. Lord, help us to be people that have open hands, not closed fists. That are willing to share and to give. Because it is so true, God, that where our treasure lies, that is where our heart is. And God, I thank you for doing some heart work in us today. So come through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray, and move in people's lives this week so that your name would be made great. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.